Morning, saints. Morning, sinners. Well, we continue on with our sermon series, Encounters with Christ. We're going to look at an, insi an insider and an outcast. Our scripture or our, our text can be found in John 3 and 4. And the boys are passing out uh, uh, incomplete outlines if you'd like to follow along with them. If you would, though, open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And we'll start there and then we'll move to 4 a little, little farther on. Two different encounters this morning. But I think that John wrote them back to back for a reason, to make a statement. And some of you may be saying, well, Keith, you know that John didn't write in chronological order. He jumps all around. Yes, I know. That really makes this more important that these two stories are so close together. Our key scripture this morning is, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Your soul searches for something. Your soul thirsts for something. Like a person in the desert, dehydrated and dry, searches for water. Our soul thirsts. It longs to be filled. The key question this morning is, what is it that your heart thirsts for? What is it that your heart thirsts for? Boris Becker said, I've won Wimbledon two times. One time as the youngest tennis player of all times. I was rich. I had material possessions. Everything I needed. But I was the old song, you know, of movie stars and pop stars who committed suicide. They had everything, yet they were so unhappy. That was me. I had no inner peace. Or how about this beauty? Sophia Loren, in an interview, once said, I have had everything. I have had money, awards, and marriages. But in my life, I have an emptiness that seems to be impossible to fill. Or how about this guy, football fans, Tom Brady, arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time, owner of five quarterback, or excuse me, five, help me here, Super Bowl rings, two season MVP awards, a plethora of awards too long to list. He said once in an interview in 2008, after an estimated income of $275 million. He says, why do I have these Super Bowl rings and still think there's more out there, something out there for me? I mean, a lot of people tell me, hey man, this is it, this is it. I've reached my goal, I've reached my dream in my life. But I think God is its it's got to be more than this. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. 
I love playing football. I love being a quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there's a lot more other parts about me that I'm still trying to find. Today, I want to look at two people who could have easily sung the old U2 song, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Two souls that have been looking and searching for fulfillment, value, the meaning of life, all in the wrong places. And to their surprise, the answer wasn't a religious system. It wasn't title. It wasn't marriage. It wasn't status. The answer to their greatest desire was a man-god, the Messiah. Let's look at the Scripture together. John 3, starting with verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you were doing if God were not with him. What I think John wants you to get here in the beginning of this story is that Nicodemus on the world standards is a good guy. He, he's a wealthy guy. He's a Pharisee and a lawyer, so he would have been doing well. He's a religious man. He's on the Sanhedrin court. He would have been a respectable man. He's probably a little more open-minded than the rest of his peers because he's seeking truth in this young rabbi named Jesus. However, Jesus knows Nicodemus is not spiritually where he needs to be. He dives straight in. I want you to listen in this next verse as Jesus answers Nicodemus's greatest question in life without Nicodemus ever expressing what he really wants to say. Seth, you've probably been there. I mean, I walked into my dad's office when I was a teenager, when I was 16, and I would come into the radio station and walk down the long hall and go into his office and sit down in a comfy chair just across from his desk, and I'd say, hey, Dad, how's it going? What are you doing? And he'd look across his desk and go, no, you can't borrow the car. See, he was answering my question before I even, answered, or I even asked it because he really knew why I was there. And the same thing with Christ. He's going to answer Nicodemus' greatest question in life, even though Nicodemus has not expressed it yet. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb and be born. And Jesus looks back at him and says, Very true, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying this. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is pretty much freaking out at this point. How can this be? You are an 
Israel's teacher, says Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Jesus tells Nicodemus something Nicodemus should have already known. You're going to have to be reborn, Nicodemus. You're going to have to go through a, a total metamorphosis to make it into the kingdom of God. You probably thought, Nicodemus, that your wealth, that your religious habits, your religious system, your title, your respectability was going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. But Nicodemus, salvation and the meaning of life is not found in systems, in religious habits. It's in the Messiah. It's in being reborn into Christ. Amen? Quite possibly Nicodemus thought he had earned his salvation, right? Jesus wants him to understand that salvation is not earned. Salvation is a gift from God. Pulling from C.S. Lewis's illustration, Jesus wants Nicodemus to move on in spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And it's not about what you have done, it's what's been done for you. Like a child being born, that's been what's been done for you. C.S. Lewis says, let's be honest here. You in your mother's womb, if you had the mental capacity to make the choice, you probably would have said, no, I'll stay here. It's warm. There's no loud noises. I'm comfortable. I have everything I need. I never get hungry. I always hear my mother's heartbeat. It's so warm and secure and, and, and soft, and I love it here. If you could have mentally had that thought, probably would have said that. But Mama's saying, no, you get out. Because in reality, the parent loves you wants you to grow to full maturity so you too can grow up in God. God wants us to be reborn. It's not about what we do. It's about what's been done for us. It's a gift. In Nicodemus's case, what will be done for him by this rabbi named Jesus? A parent loves you and wants you to grow to full maturity, to God wants you to be reborn. Could it be that this good man has possibly become his own God, his own Savior? Maybe he's a little bit like us, become self-reliant, self-righteous, religiously smug, Christ says, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? You've got to be totally reborn. Let's look at another encounter. This one is found in John 4. Flip your Bible or slide over in your incomplete back of the outline. We'll start about verse 4 here. Now, he had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. John wants you to understand he's alone with her. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. First I want you to see how beautiful this encounter is. How wonderful your Savior is. How many barriers He breaks down in just the beginning of the story. First of all, He breaks the human barrier. He empties Himself and becomes a man takes on the likeness of a man so he can enter into our world where he's going to be hungry and he's going to be thirsty and he's going to be tired so he can interface with, so he can save his greatest creation. He breaks the human barrier. Then he breaks the racial barrier. You see, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They have for over 400 years. The Jews were taken off into Babylonia, into captivity, and everyone who was left behind was of no real value. See, they took all the important people into captivity. What they don't tell you is they left a remnant behind. They were the people that had no discernible skills, those who were handicapped, those who those who were too old to take care of themselves, they just left them behind. And these people intermarried with the Canaanite people who were living in that area in Judea. And they intermarried and they produced a race of what the Jews considered to be half-bloods, half-breeds. And they treated them that way. And so the Samaritans hated them for it. And they hated them right back. They attacked each other's temples and places of worship. And we've got over 400 years of bigotry going on. And Jesus breaks the race barrier. And then he sits down beside a well and he asks this outcast woman who was there alone to drink, if he could get a drink from her out of, his, out of her cups, out of her bucket. And she pretty much flips out and says, what are you doing? You don't, Jews don't eat or drink out of the same things we use. You see, Jesus breaks the cultural and the moral barrier and pushes that aside. And then finally, Jesus is talking to a woman alone. Good rabbis didn't talk to women alone. But not only is this just a woman, this is not any woman, this is a Samaritan woman. And he's talking to her when nobody else is around. You see, Jesus breaks the gender barrier also. How beautiful it is to have a Savior that transcends all barriers. Amen? Let us try to break all barriers down in our lives. Jesus answers her. If Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give to them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, now, wait a second. She, Jesus is going to do it again. He's going to answer her question that she hasn't asked yet. She hasn't uttered a question yet. He says, go call your husband and come back. Listen as Jesus answers this woman's greatest heart's desire, even though her mouth has not expressed anything. You see, she's, she's been putting her hope where? I have no husbands, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husbands. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Timothy Keller in his book points out what plagues Nicodemus plagues this outcast woman. Nicodemus the insider has been looking for salvation and the meaning of life in his religious systems, in his works, in his legalism. And this outside woman has been looking for salvation and the meaning of life in marriage. And for whatever reason, it has left her broken, unmarried, and disgraced. So much so that she'd rather go draw water, Preston, in the heat of the day at the well alone than face the contemptuous looks on the women's faces in the town in the morning. You see, it was normal for women to go to the well early in the morning when it was cool and the desert hadn't got hot yet. But she's such an outcast. She's there in the noonday sun alone. Jesus extends the meaning of life, salvation, the kingdom of God, eternal life to both the insider and the outcast. This morning, where are you on the spectrum from insider to outcast to outsider? Christ wants you to drink the same spiritual water. He wants you to, to feed on your most innermost desire to be loved, to be needed, and to find eternal security in Him. C.S. Lewis says, when Christ calls us to be holy, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is to be perfect, He's saying to you, I can do that for you in your life. I can do and will do it for you. But what I will not do is anything less. 
God will be delighted with your first feeble stumbling around efforts that you have today and tomorrow. But at some point in your life, He expects you to move on and to become mature and to grow and to mold and shape you to be satisfied with you looking like Christ. George MacDonald, a, a Christian writer, pointed out that God is like a father who is giddy when his children learn to walk. But he's not satisfied until that child is standing upright, running in a mature state. And we are the same. We can relate to that, can't we? I mean, I know I can. Gabby was born. She got to about ten and a half months and she began to walk. And I can remember telling people quite proudly, yes, my child's only 11 months and she's almost walking. She walked from the coffee table over to the couch. That poor Smith kid doesn't know if it's crawling forward or backwards and they're 12 months. But I got to tell you, at 22 years old, if Gabby is still stumbling around and fumbling around trying to get from the coffee table to the couch, I'm not going to be satisfied, am I? I expect a level of maturity to grow like Peter talked about in 1 Peter this morning. He expects more out of us. McDonald goes on and says, imagine yourself as a living house. At first you think God's come in to refurbish your home. At first, perhaps, He comes in and He fixes the plumbing and gets it running smoothly. And He does a little work on the roof and stops those leaks and you can appreciate what He's doing and you understand what He's doing. And then one day He comes out and He begins to knock walls out and tear down walls that have been there all your life, and he starts to rip up perfectly good floors. And you're wondering, why in the world would he do something so radical in your life? And you begin to question what he's doing, and then suddenly you see him laying foundation where he's never laid it before. And he's adding on to what you would never imagine he could add on to in your life. And where you had the rubbish rugs, he's now got floors of marble. And suddenly you realize in your life that he's not happy with just a good home. What he wants is a spiritual palace for you. But it's painful. It takes growth and maturity and he wants to bring you along in that. You see, he, wants, he doesn't want your house to be average. He's trying to build a spiritual palace where you can reflect His glory, His joy, His wisdom, His patience, His compassion, His love. God's given you a relationship. God's given you a relationship. God's given you an image of Him in your heart, and your greatest desire, your greatest desire is to transform yourself into the likeness of the Son. Amen? 
on the spectrum of insider to outcast, where are you? Can I tell you this morning? It really doesn't matter. Because your heart's desire is all the same. What will satisfy your heart is the Messiah Christ. It's not what you've done. It's who He is and what's been done for you. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Lord, we so oftentimes look for love and value and salvation in the silliest of places. Help us to focus on you, to be transformed, to look like you and your son. Help us to love one another and grow in spiritual maturity. Help us to be people of commitment that commit to you and your good works and that we work with you and we grow with you not so that we can win salvation because we know that Christ has already won salvation for us. Help us to do it because we love you and we look like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know where you are this morning in your spiritual walk, but we're here for you. If there's anything that we can do for you spiritually, let it be known to one of the elders. During this song, I'll wait up here for you if you need me. Matter of fact, I'll just walk to the back. And if you need to confess a sin or you want to pray, I'll be back there for you and we'll talk about it. Never forget, this church loves you. And they want to go to heaven with you.